Oh, yeah, Ted, Teddy Bruschi with a, a 50th birthday key lime pie. Oh, you got a key lime pie. <laughs> yeah. I love key lime pie, man. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a special edition of the Punch Drunk Podcast. I'm Paul Brooks, joined always by Michael. What's up? Joey. How's it going? And Mike Lane. Howdy. And joining us on the couch in studio is someone who needs no introduction. But you know what? I'm going to get one because you deserve Let's it. Let's do it. You yeah. deserve it. <laughs> Three-time Super Bowl champion, NFL Comeback Player of the Year in 2005, twice second-team All-Pro, Pro Bowler 2004, a member of the College Football Hall of Fame, New England Patriots All-2000s team, New England Patriots All-Dynasty team, New England Patriots 50th Anniversary team, and a member of the New England Patriots Hall of Fame, please welcome number 54, Teddy Bruschi. Hey, that's a lot of stuff you said there. Teddy, <laughs> thank you so much for taking time out of your uh, busy schedule to join us. Um, I know that we are... Uh, I have a much better studio than ESPN, so <laughs> that's, you know we kind of get that my, my effect. Home setup, yeah. my God, I've got all that. Yeah, I've got to turn on like seven different lights and <laughs> yeah. turn on the phone, and there's a ring light, and I got background lights. It's uh, you know everybody on ESPN has their shelves behind them and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, I try to. I try. We to, like that home yeah. feel effect. Yeah, uh, in your honor of one of your studio, one of your partners. Yeah. <laughs> We grabbed Matt Hasselbeck's helmet, so we got his here. Yeah, right here the Boston too. College, yeah. yet yeah. strong here. That's his actual helmet, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get right into uh, some things here. You were um, one of the state of California's uh, best football players in high school. Yeah, the, well, they actually did uh, at the at, at two thousand the year two thousand. They did of like a top one hundred football players at yeah. that time. I was actually number one. Number yeah. one. Yeah. So yeah, you can. And, and when you think about it, <laughs> and when you think about being the number one player out of Massachusetts, you go, "Holy hell, that's a pretty good accomplishment." But California, my God. Um, then you get recruited to Arizona. You had a couple of schools recruited you. BYU, I think, was one. Yeah, Arizona and Arizona. Washington State. So I wanted to play in the Pac-10. Yeah. It was the Pac-10 back then. Now it's the Pac-12. And um, did not go to Washington State. I, I sort of leaned toward uh, living in Tucson, Arizona, rather than Pullman, Washington. Really? <laughs> I thought it was a, a better climate. And uh, you go around to the, you know, you trip there in February for those recruiting visits. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's pretty nice there in February. Well, certainly a wise choice. Yes. For a, a number of reasons. A little more sunny. <laughs> for a number of reasons. The weather, that's one. But your, your incredible college football career, uh, and you ultimately uh, met your wife. Yeah, the, the, yeah. So I'll say I'll about to I mean, joke with you and say they've got good-looking volleyball players. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where that's where Heidi and met. Yeah, Heidi and I met. She was a volleyball. Player. That's fantastic. A football player. Um, yeah. So the good thing is, um, you did a great service for Arizona by playing because you you basically forced them to retire number sixty-eight because of what you did. Number sixty-eight. That that number kind of sucks. I know right? that. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the guys on the countdown. <laughs> they always give me a hard time too. Moss and Hasselbeck. <laughs> sixty-eight. Rex is always like sixty-eight. That's the ugliest number. What did they just give that to you? I wore it in high school, <laughs> and so I was like, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just keep it in college. I wanted eighty-six in high school, 
but they said you're not you're not going to be catching the ball. I was like an offensive guard and a defensive tackle, so 68. All right, flip them, and I kept them. And I kept yeah. Them. Well, that's good because nobody can wear 68 in Arizona anymore, <laughs> thankfully. <laughs> um, so you played defensive end. I did. Defensive end. No linebacker at all. Never took a drop in my life until I got to the Patriots. Yes. That's amazing. So yeah. now you get through your college and, you know, the, between the Morris Trophy, the Pac-10 Defensive Player of the Year in 95, uh, two-time consensus All-American, uh, three-time All-Pac-10, Ridiculous numbers, illust uh, just an illustrious career in college. You go in the third round to the Patriots. Now, you're a West Coast guy playing for Arizona. Now your first year is under Bill Parcells. Yep. Uh, so, yeah. What was your thoughts about coming to the Patriots? Well, at first it was, I, I was, everyone would ask you, where do you want to get drafted, Brooksy? And I'm like, I don't care, I don't care. But the question kept coming, so I was, I would answer it, okay, somewhere close. And I actually got drafted to the furthest possible place <laughs> rather than, you know, Miami or, or New England. And it was, uh, it was the New England Patriots. And I was dating Heidi at the time, and literally I told her, babe, I just got drafted by New England Patriots. And she said, where's that? You know, we, we're, we're West Coast people, yeah. and, and Heidi was, you know, lived in Tucson. She didn't, she wasn't into the NFL or anything like that, especially the AFC East. So, yeah, Boston, that's where I'm going. And it was, it was a little bit of a, a little bit of a change coming out here. I mean, I mean, climate change, culture change. Heidi had a little, had to get used to it a little bit, but it was, it didn't take me long to just appreciate what was out here in terms of New England and the people and and the passion they had for the Patriots. Didn't take you long to uh, make an impact with the New England Patriots. I mean, right, almost right away. Right. Well, shoot, my rookie year. You know, that's when. I mean, like I like I was saying, my first linebacker meeting, Brooksy, my rookie year. Al Groh was my coach. Dante Scarnecchia was the assistant linebackers coach, and I was the only one in there that they drafted as a linebacker, which I had no idea how to play. They were going over cover two, and they were trying to explain um, what you do when you recognize pass. Okay, the corner's got the half, you know, all this stuff, and they're, they're jamming and getting deep and all this stuff, and then all of a sudden, linebackers drop to the hook, and I raised my hand, and I said, where's that? I mean, I had no concept of flat curl hook, right. deep third halves or anything like that, because all I did at Arizona was rush. So <laughs> I had to learn how to how to play linebacker and learn other areas of the field rather than going forward. Do you know how to blitz? That's what. They that's it. <laughs> that's that's, it. I just rushed. <laughs> yeah. I rushed at Arizona. I mean, fifty-two sacks, and that's all I did was if it was a pass, I rushed. If the hip of the tight end or the tackle went down, I just shuffled, and it was a run, and I played it that way. I mean, it's tough enough for people to even try to make the NFL, and you made it playing a position you never played. I mean, that's ridiculous. Yeah, they they formed a cactus package because Al was from Arizona, so Al Grow wanted to get me on the on the on the field somehow, some way. So they called it cactus, and I came in and I played defensive tackle because Willie McGinnis and Chris Slade were on the outside, and they didn't want me rushing from there. From the, but it was because it because we had those guys. So I'd come in and be a rusher 
from a three technique at times, but then when we played odd, then I'd float around and do pass rush games with either of Slade or McGinnis or or Henry Tank Thomas, I think was the nose tackle at mm-hmm. that time. Or or but uh, that's that's how they ended up getting me in, and I also started playing special teams. So now you got Bill Parcells there, and now I think that was only one year, right? Because he went to the Super right. Bowl and lost to the right. Packers. We lost to the Packers. He's out. Belichick comes in. Yeah, no, it was Pete Carroll. Pete, Pete Carroll. Carroll. That's Carroll. right. I forgot. Now I thought I thought it was going to be Belichick too. Yeah. Because on the plane ride home, Parcells wasn't on the plane, and Belichick was going around to various people. Right. He'd say he would talk to us, saying, you know, be very encouraging about the year that you had. I remember him talking to me. He was like, Teddy, you had a good rookie year. You just keep working. We're going to be good around here. And and I thought, well, there goes he must be. There goes our next head coach. Yeah. So I watch Bill, and he goes to Lori Malloy and other guys like that. I'm like, okay, Belichick's going to be the head coach. But then the whole Kraft, Parcells yep. thing went on, I think, and Parcells made sure Belichick was you know, with him and loyal with him, and he went over to the Jets. And then, so you played for Pete Carroll. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's really how. That's really where I played a lot. Where I played linebacker. Yeah. Pete. I mean, Bo Pelini was the linebacker coach, and really, I I learned a lot because, I mean, that's where. I mean, all I did, like I said, I would did that little specialty package for Parcells and and Al Groh and Belichick and the coaches that were there, and then Pete Carroll came in, and then all of a sudden I started learning like all the intricacies of lining up off the ball, reading guards. You know, playing the well linebacker at the time, which was covered up by a three technique. It was an under defense, a four three. So I really had to learn under Pete and Bo Pelini. Pete was a real good defensive minded. He was, yeah. Positional was. coach on all positions, or just basically defense. I, th- I thought it was defense, yeah. And yeah. you know, shoot, I think we went ten and six, nine and seven, eight and eight, and then Pete Carroll got fired. Um, it was just like night and day, guys. When when Pete, and you go from Bill Parcells to Pete Carroll. It's like Bill Parcells is old school, hard nose, and Pete really relies on a lot of his players to you know take the leadership role. Pete lo- loved to name the days, like yeah. uh, Turnover Thursday, No Repeat Friday. Um, I forget what Wednesday was called, but Monday never had a name. You know, the day after a game. And I learned after Pete left, he ended up calling Monday, Tell the Truth Monday. And I think that was his problem when he was here. We didn't have Tell the Truth Monday. And Mm. he finally learned that we need to start holding these players accountable in front of the whole team. And, of course, we had those sessions all the time with Parcells and then Belichick when he came in. But Pete really started to come into his own as a head coach at USC and then he went to Seattle, and that's when they had a success and won the Super Bowl. So you got kind of like Parcells, pretty tough, yeah, hard nose. Pete Carroll must have felt like a little bit of a vacation. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, learning, right, and learning and things like that. But I really, and now you go to Belichick, and then back to Belichick, which I knew how that would be. So I mean, if you think about it, all three are Super Bowl winning head coaches. Now yeah. that you look back, and I think what Pete was best for me was you know teaching me how to eventually become a leader, and then you know also how to play linebacker. That was that was that was instrumental for me. But then my found foundation was laid by Parcells. So when Belichick came in, I really didn't I really didn't have any type of you know problems dealing with the discipline that he brought back what an amazing career though 13 years with the patriots all with the patriots you never had an agent did you 
I did the well, first year. The you first did first contract. The first uh, three years, I did have an agent coming out. A good friend of mine that's still that's still around. Bert Knurk is a good friend of mine. He's a lawyer out of Tucson, so he helped me um, with that. Also, so th- I think I did three contracts by myself. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, and that got me through uh, the, the bulk of my career. Bert Knurk, what a great name. Yeah, that's <laughs> my guy. So you got you had three Super Bowls. You played for th- what I will say probably three Hall of Fame head coaches sure. in the yeah. game. Yeah, uh, great career. Um, you're the first player. Now you still may be. I, I tried to look this one up to see if you still hold it, but you're the first player in NFL history to return four consecutive interceptions for touchdowns. Yeah, over the yeah. So that was one year that tailed off into the next year so my four straight interceptions i took back to the house um yeah oakland miami of course yeah detroit um philadelphia i remember that yeah that was in 2003 so 2003 yeah yeah yeah, that was it right right that's uh that's something now before i know everybody else wants to get into questions there's a couple things that i know about you that people some people may not know um you're an accomplished musician saxophonist yeah, play the sax is it true that you played with the boston pops okay oh no didn't play with the pops i played at symphony hall with the Longy school of music that's what it was okay yeah so it was a it was a charity benefit for the school and it was a i think it was a quartet that i played in yeah yeah so yeah that was that was nerve-wracking man i had a I had to really get back in and uh, you know, get back in my musical background. I was in the band before I played football. So I played clarinet, then alto saxophone. High school, I ended up, I ended up uh, being in the, I ended up playing JV games. And then I'd play in the band for the varsity games, change into my, my band uniform. And yeah, I was, I was wow. in the stands playing in the band, man. Yeah. And there's other things that you and I have gone, because uh, we ended up coaching together in high school. We ended up yeah, going yeah. to the bowling alley. And how many times have you bowled a perfect 300 in 10 pin? Oh, that's just once. 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 You bowled a perfect yeah, 300. Yeah, I bowled a 280-something once. I missed it another time. But, uh, yeah, I bowled a perfect game. That was June 10th. 2013, man. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. Did you get a ring for that? No, it wasn't in league. I was just say, what's a better ring? No, the I don't. Or, 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 okay. This is it right here. Can I see this one? No, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't in league, so you don't get a ring for that. Just sort of. I was at North Bowl, man. I love going to North Bowl. Yeah. I got my own locker there and everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't. Spot. <laughs> I think I bought like a, a 160. That's that's pretty where I'm. Much where I'm at. Um, you own your own bowling shoes? Any of you guys own? Your I own used to have shoes? my own bowling shoes and a bowling ball. You've got to have your own bowling shoes. That's yeah. one of the best things anyone can own, in my opinion. Yeah. You should. Bowling you shoes. should probably have everything. You kind of look the part. You know, you got to look the part. You can't just go in and rent shoes. You can shoes look the part or... and still suck at it. You know yeah. what I mean? And well, that make me a better bowler, though. You get your own shoes and. It's... I would say just hygiene. It, it'd help you out. Oh, yeah. you know, I, mean? I know they That's spray the why shoes. There's no, nothing wrong with spray. you know they spray the shoes and stuff. But it's just feel you just feel a little bit cooler with your own shoes, man. I like that. something about wearing like shoes that have been worn by like fifty people. Fifty, <laughs> fifty, try five hundred, man. Yeah, try fifty in a day. <laughs> so yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna say this. I'm holding the ring up, and this is from the first Super Bowl, 2001. Yeah, you you won three of them. What is your most favorite or most Prize possession of the, out of the rings, 
I, I would say the first one, the that first you're holding, one. yeah, because um, I mean that's the one where um, we won our first when we sort of broke through and just changed the way people thought about the entire New England Patriots organization. Because I mean, this is this was a baseball slash basketball town. I yeah, mean, Celtics winning championships, the Red Sox. <clears throat> you know, they just the, this little passion they had with the Red Sox. So. I mean, I remember a girl coming up to me. The story I love to tell is like, uh, hey, my grandfather wanted me to thank you guys. And I was like, oh, tell him you're welcome because why, why, why are you thanking us? He said, no, no, no. My grandfather said he could die a happy man now. Mm. And, and I was like, yeah. that's when I started to learn what it, what it was like around here, what it was about in terms of. Uh, well, you start also realizing that people around here going through the 70s, I mean, the tough ones with, you know, when, when Grogan was playing or even before that with Plunkett playing rich history with some f real famous Patriot players but some real struggles through those seasons too and a lot of the fan base was like you gotta be kidding there was a time when nobody around here could watch the team locally on TV because they never had a sellout and there was sellout laws oh, so back they then. wouldn't play it so you couldn't okay. play it you couldn't oh, just really? watch anything so people were possibly going to New Hampshire or Rhode Island just to see the team on on TV because yeah. they wouldn't even sell out yeah, and I started to learn the history of everything, why there were there are still trickling of Giants fans around here because Yeah, one next to you. Yeah, really. Ugh. Okay. What do we do? <laughs> what do we do? At least I'm from New York. <laughs> <laughs> I'm from New York. I'm Full like disclosure, he is from New York. I mean, it's it's so it's it's so generational here. I mean, in nineteen sixty when the when the team was originated, I mean you've got you've got nobody so it's it's still giants out here i think i believe someone would tell me and then all of a sudden all right so grandfathers are making sure their sons are giants fans you know and then then it trickles down from sons to yeah. you know fathers to sons and that's how it happens but i think we're we're weeding that out now with the success that with the, the six <laughs> championships which is i'd like, say so good. yeah yeah. Yeah. I think you pushed anyone from being yeah. a Giants fan in this area. That was like you know eighteen or under. You know, it right. sort of right. sort of clean, cleanses the problem. <laughs> I guess I'll, I'm going to start. So, are we doing questions from us now, or what are we doing? All right. Yeah. So, um, I asked Logan the same question, and I, I always find it interesting. Is what, like, when did you realize before college that you were could be at the next level and you were like, all right, I'm, I'm actually pretty good at this. Like, I'm, this is what I want to do. Before I can, college, I can do it. Yeah. Before college, I never did. Um, I Not never, I never, I, 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 yeah. So we're talking in high school and I really wasn't even, I mean, I mean, this is how I started playing football. I went to freshman orientation in Roseville, California, and I saw a couple buddies from eighth grade and I walk, they, they motioned me over and they said, Hey man, how you doing? And I said, all good. I'll, I'll sit next to you for freshman orientation. And I looked by their, their feet and they had cleats in a cooler. And I said, what are those for? And they said, we're going to try out for the football team. You should come. I said, all right. So I went out. And the next day I had my old Avia tennis shoes. I didn't even have cleats. You know what I mean? I had a t-shirt as a jersey. So I just started playing. And I just loved it when I put on pads and I could hit people and it didn't hurt, Michael. So that it, I really just fell in love with it. And then my after my junior year, my coach came up to me and handed me a letter. I said, what is this? And he said, it's a recruiting letter. And upper, up in the upper left-hand corner was a gold helmet from UCLA. <laughs> and it was the first ever recruiting letter I got, and then I was like, "Oh shit! I can I can actually go to college for free." Wow! <laughs> I was like, "All right, let's go." So then I started having the goal of playing college football, and so you get to college football, and then when I was named the, uh, I think after my redshirt sophomore year, I was named like a second team All American there, and then I was like, maybe I can turn this into something. Yeah. 
So I, I just sort of took it as sort of a incremental step-by-step process. Right. Yeah. To piggyback on Michael, though, did you ever feel as though, or did anybody ever tell you you may have been undersized? All the time. Yeah. All the time. I mean, I started out, I mean, <clears throat> after that freshman orientation, I went to practice, and coach brings us up coach don hicks i still remember he, he everybody remembers their freshman football coaches i mean everybody does so he's brought us all up and he's like all right guys let's have a good day of practice everybody break up to your positional groups and everybody broke up and i stood right there and i said coach where do you want me to go and he said go with the lineman and that's how i ended up being a defensive tackle and an offensive guard but with that i'm six one or whatever six feet at the time at freshman and all that stuff i'm undersized in terms of collegiate linemen so junior year senior year as i start to get recruited it's i'm undersized for a defensive end in college mm. and then coming out of um the nfl a defensive end coming out that i was six one two forty two forty five that's undersized for nfl standards so i was always undersized sort of the category yeah now being from california i gotta ask was that snow angel and the raiders game the first one you ever did because you created <laughs> that celebration because now you see everyone doing it on the turf now I see it every Sunday. You know? Yeah, well, the shoot, I, I, I mean, that sliding you in the snow that. was mine. Lonnie Paxton created that. I mean, he was a long snapper, really, right? Yeah. So oh, he yeah. went out oh, there yeah. and did that. I mean, I slid in the snow in Miami. I don't know why. I mean, I didn't realize, I didn't know snow or bad weather games until I came out here, but I just sort of felt good about it because... I thought defensively we always had the advantage. So we loved the bad weather games. I mean, we just had that mentality of, I mean, I remember playing the Colts one time and it was one of the playoff games. And just as you start to walk out, it's, it was a it was a nice day. But then the snow started coming down as pregame warmups were happening. And then there was a, I mean, there was an operations guy that saw me. He said, RKK's got a got a, a direct line upstairs. I mean Robert Kraft. I mean RKK because <laughs> like, he dialed up the snow for Peyton Manning. You know, so yeah. we loved it when it was bad weather. Yeah. Did you guys have a feeling that during that Raiders game that you guys had the edge, obviously, with that snow? Because we thought, we thought, yeah. But the, I mean, those guys played so well. You know, in the snow, it was really us coming. Yeah, back. he kicked me out of the basement. Yeah. I'll never forget it. I was ten years old, and he wouldn't let anyone watch. Well, he had to watch it alone. Oh, really? Yeah, well, <laughs> when that field goal went up, that's you know me. Watch it looks like <laughs> We could only watch once that field goal went in. And then we, we, were good. we got behind, and I mean, we we thought, I mean, these guys from California, they're going to hate this stuff. But I mean, they had, I mean, Jerry Rice was on that team. Yeah. I mean, Gannon was on that team. Woodson, Beekert, they had guys that were hard nosed. So, I mean, we got a couple breaks. You know, we got a big sure. break in terms of that tuck roll, but. Uh, we still, uh, the, the weather didn't help us there. I mean, we had, a, Adam Vinatieri had to make that superhuman kick. Do you think that was a fumble? I thought it was. I thought it was at first. I mean, you look at it and it's like, boom, as yep. a defense, you're like, you start walking out. But um, I think we had an example earlier on that same year. And then you got that feeling like, oh, man, they're looking at it. Yep. And you never know what's going to happen once they get under the hood, Joey, to look at that, to look at the plays. So we got another chance. We're never getting out of here alive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. That may have been the feeling. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I had a couple questions for you. Um, one play or game that you will never forget. <laughs> one play, Detroit versus Detroit in th Thanksgiving Day game. It was a pick six. 
Um, I think it was 2002 was the year I intercepted Joey Harrington and took him back to the house. But for me, as a player, it was a progression of finally being a linebacker because so many things had to happen that was so complex that that Belichick and his staff wanted you to do. Reading a formation, okay, that's different than the huddle called, so we got to adjust, and I adjusted. Reading a, a slide protection of the offensive line, and then as I'm blitzing, changing your assignment as you're blitzing, and then dropping out, which I wasn't used to doing, and then reading pattern read as you drop out. So many complex things had to go with that. I intercepted it as I looked back, it was, the ball was there, and then I took it to the house. That was really a play for me that, okay, now I'm a linebacker, and I feel comfortable. About That's like the I'm moment doing. you were like, I put it together. Yeah, I'm yeah, good here. Yeah, in terms of nostalgia, <laughs> uh, the, the play, the interception in the snow. And then you just kept picking one. people off and turning them back to the house because yeah. that was during your streak. Yeah, that was right during <laughs> my streak. It was, it was. But in terms of nostalgia and like a moment, that Miami moment was incredible because of everyone throwing up the snow in the wow. air. And I have re remember uh, Mike Vrabel come up to me and said, look what you did. You know? <laughs> <laughs> look what you, look you around. did. It was like it was so awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then uh, shittiest stadium or fan base that you played in front of? Well, when you talk about shittiest fans, you think they're shitty because they're so tough. And they're right? so passionate. Yeah, yeah. so passionate. Um, well, the, the stadium had to be the old vet in Philadelphia when they had ripples in the AstroTurf. That was pretty tough. That was, that was a bad facility that they ended up fixing. They've got a nice place now. I would say... I would say in terms of fans, the Jets fans are always tough. And I don't call them shitty. I just call them tough. I mean, because, I mean, they're always in your ear and they're always, I mean, they had some bad teams there too, but they were yeah. still cheering their teams on. Yeah, I know. That, a, lot that's, that's, of, yeah. a lot of Jet fans. Yeah, that's, what, that's what really I respect. Your team sucks. They're not winning. They're getting beat, but you're still there. You know, they have that element of it. Buffalo also has that element of it too. For the Jet fans I knew, like I know, the Patriots games were like the two games they really got up for. It was just like, the Patri we're playing the Patriots, yeah. we got to beat them. Yeah, and, those, then, and then they just never did. Yeah, there was a good <laughs> span of, shoot, I mean, a long time where everyone just got up for us. I mean, I think it was after, I mean, 01 comes and you think it's a fluke, but you go 03, you go 04, I mean, everybody's now gunning for you through 07. When you're when you're undefeated going into the Super Bowl, so there's a yeah. We don't have to talk about that. Yeah, it's as <laughs> luck. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of things happen there. That's bad luck. Injuries, but yeah. <laughs> hey, there's a lot of lucky plays in Super Bowls. You watch them. Hey, what one not, thing? Not one for the thing, Patriots. Yeah, one thing, Bill. Yeah, one thing, Bill always says to win championships: good players, good coaches, good fortune. And you're telling yep. me, I mean, the Tuck role was good fortune. I mean, drafting. Brady was good fortune, you know. So a lot, a lot of Edelman's catch was good fortune. There you go. That was yeah. skill. The yeah. fact that, that was skill. The Seahawks uh, didn't run. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that <laughs> was luck. There's a definite element of everyone, <laughs> everyone winning, having a little bit of luck on one of their games to get to the Super Bowl or win it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, do you have any like behind the scenes stories or something that the average fan might not know about the NFL? Behind the scenes stories about. I would say just how about this how, about how fun the tr the training room can be, you really? know what I mean? When when it's sort of a hangout place where mm -hmm. you go in there and guys are messing around. I remember Jimmy Whalen, our head trainer, but 
I mean, he, I mean, he was a great guy to go in there and spend time with and just sit in there. And, and a lot of guys, even though you, sometimes you're hurt and it, and it sucks, but guys will just go in there just to hang out. There are various little faction places where you can just have a, a lot of camaraderie in the NFL. The training room, the equipment room, the stretch line is, is, is always super fun. One of, the best, one of the best guys had to have in the stretch line, believe it or not, was Matt Light. And he would do Harry Carey imitations. He would just sing country songs. He would always pull pranks on a lot of guys. I mean, Vrabel, the linebacker crew, a lot happened in stretch lines. I mean, even when we're at Fian and we're coaching at Fian, I would always try to mess around with you guys during the stretch line. You know what I mean? Because it's almost like we're about to start. We're about to have practice, but you're just warming up right now. So you can, like, talk about school and, and ask you you know, what was going on through the course of your day. Have you ever had like a heated practice where like where you were involved in where like two guys like like went off on each other and I mean they had I remember a stretch of like three weeks where I fought scout team offensive linemen every single week. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it was that they just bring new guys in and they don't know the tempo and we're in the middle of a season and guys are a little bit hurt and this guy's trying to stay on the team and go a hundred percent. And there was always a move that I just did. I mean, you're a fighter, you know, these moves, but these guys got face masks on, right? So how do you get under the face masks to get a good blow? I would always do the two hand shiver right under the face mask and it stunned them right but then as i'd go back i'd lift it up and then you come with the upper right bow right on there blood, <laughs> blood just coming on jerseys after that yeah that's that's the move that i always love to I love to use it worked well it worked a lot of times too yeah it was a good little move so bow lift bow, right underneath that was a move I love to do in those fights. <laughs> oh, he's talking about fights. You ever see two guys fight that you just wanted to stay out the way? It was Logan Mankins and Richard Seymour. <laughs> he talked about that he when did. he was sitting in that talk about When that. they would go at it, oh, no, no. Like a lot of times, oh, let's go get in there. We got to get in between those guys. Oh, I'm not getting in there. <laughs> too much, too much, too much too human. Too much. Too much human in there. <laughs> wow. You're talented in many things. Uh, if you weren't an NFL player, what would you do as a profession? Uh, if I wasn't an NFL player, man, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm, I've been blessed enough to where I don't know. I haven't had a real job, fellas. I mean, just this, this ESPN thing is just a blessing still that I get to talk about ES, talk about football on ESPN. Um, I don't know if I would have went to college either my parents probably couldn't afford to send me to college so do i go to a quick junior college and see what i could do after that am i a teacher and a coach something like that you know to stay in the sport or something like that i, th I think that that's maybe what where i would have gone um but football was just a fortunate blessing for me that i just ended up being good at you know and it helped me open a lot of doors wow Today, I want to talk about, um, first of all, the other thing we didn't mention is you also ran the Boston Marathon twice. Three times. Three times. I ran it three wow. times. Yeah. So, yeah. For Teddy's team. I mean, there's, yeah. there's a lot of things. Um, <laughs> I want to get into that. I, I want to try to go back to the good. Uh, and with that comes a little tough time, a little, little tough moment health-wise yeah. in your career. Um, you just finished the Super Bowl, went to the Pro Bowl. Come back from the Pro Bowl, and a couple of days later, you had a stroke. Right. right. Um, 
that kind of obviously you know your your health now comes before anything um where did that would that make you go through and tell us a little bit about that yeah it made me made me realize if you know how how precious life is that um you know my doctor told me if the blood clot went a little bit to the left or the right and and, and went in different places in your brain you might have died you know that's always something to hear but mm. i just didn't know football was possible again you know it's it's I mean, I always, always thought stroke was for your grandma or yeah. your grandfather or something like that, guys. I never thought it was you possible age, for right. someone. Yeah, I was 31. 31. I was 31. So that happening to me, it's like you're – I think I I got I, – I came back to play, but I recovered more physically, you know, quicker physically than I did mentally. Because mm-hmm. I went through that entire year like thinking, am I doing the right thing? You know what I mean? I mean, they're – they're almost like I was almost like a guinea pig in terms of so I had the stroke and they put a they put a device in my heart because I had a hole in my heart um, that they thought the blood clot traveled to a PFO a patent foramen ovale so they thought the blood clot uh, traveled through and went up to my brain so let's close the hole um, and we think you can play football again but every other week that you play you're going to come to massachusetts general hospital and we're going to do this bubble test on you to see if the device is still holding well where they put these bubbles in your arm and it goes through your heart and you're literally looking at your heart on a monitor and you're seeing all of these bubbles go on one side and you're seeing if any go off to the other to the other side of the heart, the other mm. ventricle, I think it is. And it's like if that goes, if the, you see any bubbles going that way, oh, it's over. You're not playing. You can't do it. You're not doing anything. So it was tough. It was nerve wracking, and that's why, I, I, like just recently, I see Demar Hamlin coming back because, yeah. um, and everything that's going through his head. Because McDermott said he's going through a little bit more mentally than he is physically, and I know exactly what he's talking about in terms of Demar dealing with everything that he has to deal with, and also like family members and loved ones, their opinions on what he should do. Because uh, playing football is one thing, but then your medical health, yeah. brain, heart, right? Brain, heart. Now your family's going to come in and tell you, hey. Yes, no, maybe, and all of that's you know that's going through his mind, and that's what it did with mine too. That was the same. The year you had it in 05, you came back to play like towards the end of that season. Yeah, the same year, the same year, the same season. Yeah, yeah, that was um, I, that's one of the first times I ever saw Bill like say, "Well, are you serious?" Like caught him off guard in terms of. Bill first gave me the the first option. He's like, Teddy, why don't you just take the whole year off? You know, come yeah. back next year, and and you know we'll we'll still be here for you. But I just started getting better, and I can't, so they put me on first on PUP, which would keep me out the first six weeks. And I came into him about I think it might have been week two or week three, and I said, Bill, I'm going to be ready to go for this year. And he looked at me like it was something he just didn't expect, and you know I, I just knew it it it, it had to be at some point so why not do it as as fast as i could and i did and you know it, it all worked out in the end. which is entirely the way you played your in your football career crazy like yeah crazy <laughs> insanely crazy that's the way you play the game though yeah i remember a sign that the sign that the crew made the the, the full tilt full time yeah that's what i was you know even coming back from the stroke if you know you know, I was a little messed up in the head, you know, in terms of 
everything like Heidi didn't want me to come back at first. So that was something I had to deal with. Yeah. It's like, you know, you've won three Super Bowls. What are we doing here, Teddy? Uh, you know, her dad was like, what else do you have to prove? And then my brother's like, they can't stop you, Ted. <laughs> He's like, go get their asses, man. You know what I mean? So, uh, but, you know, that's that's families you know they they love you and they want you to be good but i i ended up coming back and playing the first year and that's just it just worked out so this leads us into probably one of the best things locally around here uh you have established teddy's team yeah uh, just a tremendous uh charitable organization teddy's team and then just recently you opened up and you partnered with mgh yeah. um the institute of health and you opened up what is it, Teddy's Team Center of Excellence? Yeah, Center of Excellence for Stroke Recovery, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about that? That's over in Charlestown. Yeah, that's yeah. um, that's a place where stroke survivors can go and g continue their rehabilitation process. Because my whole thing with Teddy's team is about, one, providing information and awareness of the warning signs of stroke, which is what I did not know. And the acronyms be fast. I mean, balance difficulties, eyesight changes, a facial droop arm weakness, slurred speech, time to call 911. Those are the BFAST, that's the BFAST acronym, and those are the warning signs of stroke. And then also giving survivors a means for a comeback. So we have a comeback assistance program where I have, where I have, we have funded various rehabilitation devices or uh, therapy sessions. And then now with the Center of Excellence for Stroke Recovery, it's actually a place when insurance runs out people can go and continue their treatment for free because it's also wow. there's a learning aspect of it through mgh where therapists learn while they're in school and also teachers teach you know they teach them how the therapist to be better therapists and how to do that so it's something that has been a long time coming i mean teddy's team now we've been around since you know our first team in 2006 so this was really something great for us to start and you you raised some incredible like almost eight nine million dollars. Yeah, we're up over ten million dollars. Ten million dollars. Yeah. yeah. So we've done a lot. That's of amazing. That's amazing. Congratulations! But we're going to also post this. But uh, for those who are more interested in even donations or getting involved, teddysteam.org. That's teddys t e d y s team.org. Yeah. And we're going to post that. Thanks, Brooksy. When yeah. we do this, yeah. um, it's just amazing uh, what you've accomplished and you know thanks for taking the time however there's one other thing okay before we get ready um can you crawl over to joey and get that All right, it'll take me forever to get it <laughs> but we also know something that uh, our fans don't know they could look it up certainly and know that the date but you got a pretty big day coming up like friday oh yes that's right, right. yes so <clears throat> what do we got so on behalf now this, we're going out on a limb. This is Joey's research. No home, I saw I saw something, a post. It wasn't homemade by Heidi, but it is from White's Bakery. So we want okay. to we present. I love White's Bakery. All right. So yeah, we want to present yeah. Yeah, Ted, Teddy Brewski with a, a 50th birthday key lime oh, pie. Oh, you got a key lime pie. <laughs> yeah. I love key lime pie, man. Huh? Oh, thanks, guys. Let me show that to everybody yeah. right there. There you go. I love key lime pie. I don't know what it is. I, I've gone, I've even, I've gone to places, 
you know, just for the key lime pie. So what we, I mean, the Super Bowl was in Florida once. I, I, I Googled where the best key lime pie is, okay? I mean, I've been on Gold Belly trying to get the best key lime wow. pies and all that stuff. Actually, Joe's Restaurant in Las Vegas has got a great key lime pie. So all over the country, I've searched for them. But thanks, guys. Well, hopefully if you like it, it's, it's White's Bakery. So we'll give a shout out to White's oh, yeah. Bakery. Thanks, White's. Uh, <laughs> and thank you very much for supplying uh, Teddy Bruschi uh, with the uh, key lime pie. And also... Um, got a few things here. Uh, so Michael and Joey are called the Brooks Brothers in their boxing. So we're going to give you a Brooks Brothers hat. Oh, sweet. Uh, and got t-shirts for everybody for the Punch Drunk Podcast, everybody in the family. We've got the three boys. Heidi, uh, Heidi has the smallest size I one. I love this. Thanks, guys. And, uh... Just That's really awesome. want to thank you for coming in and spending the time with us. Hey, it means a lot. you and I have spent yeah. a lot of time together. It was an honor to coach with you at Bishop Fian. Same way. Coaching your son. Yeah. You know, it's um, a lot of things. Are, it's football. You know yeah. what I mean? High school level, college football, NFL, there are... You know, bonds formed that just, it just means something when you go through. I, I, I've always said that you will learn everything you want to know about someone over the course of a football season. Yeah. Because every type of adversity and success they're going to have. And so how do they react to that? So, and we've been through a few together. So, it's <laughs> so it looks like you're going to spend time in uh, New York watching... Uh Watching your son play up there. Yeah, Ithaca, Ithaca, go Bombers, man. Yeah, We're upstate New York. He's going to go play linebacker up there, and I'm excited for that. Yeah. I also go to Endicott up there to watch Rex play lacrosse. Lacrosse, yeah. Which is super exciting. And TJ just graduated, so. TJ graduated Clemson, <laughs> yeah. He's like, Dad, I want to get out of New England a little bit. I said, you go ahead, son. And he went down <laughs> to South Carolina. and Good for him. Yeah. Yeah. Good for him. Well, Dante's going to do great things up there playing football. He's got a great coach up there. Yeah. Um, so good luck to him. He'll be making 100 tackles a season up there, probably. You know, and, and they get lacrosse with Rex. So, congratulations. Thank you for everything. We got shout outs at the end. Uh, no, uh, shout out to you for coming on. Thank you so much. Uh, it really means a lot, like, especially being at my age, <clears throat> growing up, like, seeing you. That's what you guys made in New England sports. Like, that whole era of the 2001 to, you know, even 2019, whatever. But, you guys started that that whole core group of those guys with Thanks. you, Brady, Mankins, all those guys, McGinnis, and uh, it made our childhood, made growing up here what it is to be a sports fan. So yeah, every success that. they still have, I, I have pride that that I was on that one team, and then even even the '96 team, you know, that we went to the Super Bowl yeah. and lost to the Packers. Like that draft was. Terry Glenn, Lawyer Malloy, Malloy. myself, yeah. you know, Vinatieri was a free agent there. Chris Sullivan, a North Attleboro yep. graduate, you yep. know, was on that team too. So, I mean, a lot of those guys just trickled down and made it through to the 01 team and were, were a big part of that foundation. So we take pride in, you know, starting starting a lot of the work Dynasty. Did. Yeah. Like anything? Yeah, I'm going to shout out the, your uh, charity. That's Teddy's team. Thanks. Teddy's team. That's Thanks. awesome. Yeah, so when we started this podcast, everybody was asking me, are you going to get Teddy Bruschi on? When are you going to get Teddy Bruschi on? <laughs> well, we finally finally have him on, and we thank you for coming on. My pleasure. My pleasure, yeah. guys. Yeah, you got a nice little show. We didn't even ask you anything about, you know, stories about Tom Brady, you know? Nothing about that. What is Tom Brady? Boring. Like? Boring. Boring. Yeah. Boring. We'll, we'll just have him back quarterback. another time. <laughs> we did ask It's like that. ask me Brady, Hasselbeck, what's yeah. it like to work with him, BC guy, all that stuff. He's okay. 
So, because I already know, though, I already know you 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 hate quarterbacks. That was a big statement. I don't statement. hate them. On don't the hate field, them. you hate them. Yeah, Off the field, I mean, it's a little something different. He just likes to yeah. hit them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, good luck at everything at ESPN this year. Thank Still you. with Arizona? Still with Arizona. Yeah, bear down. Right. I think I think it's it's time for a bowl game. It's are gonna, you going to – Did you uh, do anything in the spring? Did you beat uh, Gronk or anything like that? Or did you? No, I, the, I, I lost two spring games in a row, and they kept me, kept me away. Yeah, they're, they're, that's it. That's it. <laughs> it's, like you, it's like you trying to call the offense. Players are like, it's I'm like not you on calling Brewski's offense. Team. You're going to stay on defense. I know, yeah. as well. <laughs> Teddy, thanks so much for coming in. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Good luck with everything. Good luck with your family. And uh, we'll, we'll be seeing you around. Punch drunk, baby. In the words of RG, <laughs> ciao for now. <laughs>